0: Awesome. Well, it's great to be here. Uh, Thank you guys so much for taking your morning to hang out with us and and, uh, to give me the opportunity to uh, preach. So, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. All right, so I recently read that um, after the American Revolution and George Washington's inauguration as president, he began to receive letters from various religious communities asking how they were going to be treated by him in this new government, many of whom were victims of religious persecution before and during the revolution. And in many cases, President Washington responded to those letters. And some of those letters still exist today. One such letter was written to the Reformed German Congregation of New York um, on November 27, 1783, which read this. Gentlemen, the illustrious and happy event on which you are pleased to congratulate and welcome me to the city demands all our gratitude, while the favorable sentiments you have thought proper to express of my conduct entitles you to my warmest acknowledgments, disposed at every suitable opportunity to acknowledge publicly our infinite obligations to the supreme ruler of the universe for rescuing our country from the brink of destruction. I cannot fail at this time to ascribe all the honor of our late success to the same glorious being. And if my humble exertions have been made in any degree subservient to the execution of the divine purpose, a contemplation of the benediction of heaven on our righteous cause, the approbation of my virtuous countrymen and the testimony of my conscience will be a sufficient reward and augment my felicity beyond anything which the world can bestow. The establishment of civil and liber- and religious liberty was the motive which induced me to the field. The object is attained and is now and it now remains to be my earnest wish and prayer that the citizens of the United States would make wise and virtuous use of the blessings placed before them, and that the reformed German congregation in New York <coughs> may not only be conspicuous for the religious character but as exemplary in the support of our inestimable acquisitions as the Reverend Minister has been in the attainment of them. I hope you guys got all that. (laughs) Notice he said that the motive which induced him to the field, meaning the field of battle where he served as general during the Revolutionary War, the, the motive which induced him to the field was civil and religious liberty. George Washington believed that people have certain rights that were given to them by God. And those unalienable rights should not be infringed upon by any person or government. Before the American Revolution, the original 13 colonies were under the rule and authority of Britain. The king believed this land and its people belonged to him and he could do with it and its inhabitants as he saw fit. He ultimately started to exercise that rule through unfair taxes and economic control, which were designed to produce profits for the crown. He expected that when he said jump, the people should ask how high and then comply. Not unlike some of the things we're seeing today in government with forced mandates and those types of things. He was a tyrant. The problem for this king was the people who had been living in this new country were disconnected from the crown. They were disconnected from the society and culture of living under a monarchy. They had experienced freedom as it had never been experienced before. And they weren't willing to give that up. They took a stand against the unfair treatment they were being subjected to and ultimately won their freedom after seven years of bloodshed fought by a bunch of farmers and a hodgepodge militia led by George Washington. And notice after securing that freedom, after being liberated, President Washington said in that letter, His wish and his prayer is that the citizens of the United States would make wise and virtuous use of the blessings placed before them. In other words, to have high moral standards and to use good judgment when making use of that freedom. The reason he said that is because he knew firsthand just how difficult it was to obtain freedom. He knew how hard it was to untangle oneself from oppression, and he knew how hard it would be to keep that freedom. He once said that if the freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. The opposite of freedom is restraint, which means to keep someone or something under control or within limits. Therefore, when verbally restrained, you're limited to what you can say and, what, and when you can say it. Being physically restrained, you're limited to move only as far or in the direction as you're authorized to move. Essentially, you're a prisoner. Told when to talk, when to walk, when to eat, how to walk, how to talk, and what to eat. You are essentially a slave to whoever is in charge or authority. As Americans, our freedom was earned and has been preserved and still exists today in part because of the sacrifices made by our citizens, both current and past. But primarily, as George Washington stated, it was God that delivered this country from destruction. However, it would seem that the president's wish and prayer that the citizens of the United States to make wise and virtuous use of the blessings placed before them has not been fully realized. Because some people in the United States are causing confusion about a great many things, and in particular, about God, about who God really is, and that confusion is causing people to deprioritize him in their lives. And the result of that is that people are being persuaded to give up their freedom. One article I read stated that from 1937 to 1998, church membership in the United States was around 70% of the population, and within the last couple of decades, that number has dropped to below 50%. Now, that just seems crazy. But the truth is that non-believers are convincing people that the Bible is not inspired by God that it is not reliable or valid. Some are convincing people that there are many ways to get into heaven through many religious avenues. For example, it's estimated that there are 350,000 religious congregations in the United States, and they don't all teach the same thing. And they certainly don't all teach the Bible. Some have suggested that going to heaven is based on good behavior or works. Ways that essentially involve you doing something to earn your way into heaven. A legalistic approach. Or something along the lines of doing whatever you want because your efforts don't even matter. You're saved, such as the antinomianism perspective. And some say, just buy a candle and burn it. The universe will take care of everything. Or rub the belly of a fat man statue and you're good to go. This confusion has caused people to stop thinking. Thinking and to stop searching for the truth. And as a result, they're missing out on the freedom that comes from Jesus, and only from Jesus. And still worse is that professing Christians are becoming confused, and in some cases misplaced their faith, claiming to know Jesus, but not to the extent that he alone is sufficient for their salvation and the only way to heaven. Some have been convinced that they need to do something in addition to what God has done. And this is not a new phenomenon. There has been and always will be opposition to freedom. There are forces at work that would like to confuse all of us right into bondage. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Chapter 5 verse 1. The epistle to the Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul to some churches in Galatia whose people Paul himself had preached to. Delivering the good news of Jesus Christ, these people accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ and became Christians. However, Paul was writing this letter to them because he had received reports that these churches were turning to a different message, a message of legalism and license, which was confusing them. After greeting these Galatians in chapter 1, Paul gets straight to the point I marvel, he said, that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. This message they were receiving was coming from some Judaizers. These folks were, they essentially believed in God's grace and human effort. They were Jewish Christian in-betweeners. These Judaizers were impressing upon these Galatian Christians some Jewish traditions, including circumcision and the recognition of various Jewish holidays, etc., as salvation requirements. Paul reiterates to them that as Christians, they are no longer slaves, but sons of God through Christ, and expresses his fear for them and asks them the question, while being known by God, or while being a Christian, How is it that you turn again to the weak or beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? They were allowing themselves to be manipulated into fulfilling their fleshly desires. Impressing men, looking more religious, thinking they could save themselves. And Paul explains that they already have freedom in Christ, but that the works of the flesh are lustful and produce immoral behaviors. Christians are to be led by the Spirit, not the flesh, as Paul says in chapter 5. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. These folks had accepted Jesus and all he had done for them and then decided to adopt some other practices which were contrary to Jesus, thereby living in the flesh, not in the Spirit, or as some might call backsliding. They were pretending to be Jews, um, as some of them once were, And not standing as Christians. Now, how often as Christians do we live in the flesh and not in the spirit? How often as Christians do we try to add things to our salvation that should not be there? How often as Christians do we live as non Christians? And how often as Christians do we trade our freedom for slavery? In chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says to these Galatians Stand fast, therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. This passage provides us with some direction into what we should be thinking about in terms of our Christian freedom and what we should be doing as free Christians. Notice in this passage, Paul says to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Liberty by which Christ has made us free. According to this statement, without Jesus, people are not free. And with Jesus, people are free. And not just free, but they've been liberated to freedom. Meaning Christians have been set free from something. Liberty means freedom, the opposite of servitude or bondage, whether physical, moral, or spiritual. This term is used to mean a slave set free. Question, what did Jesus set us free from? The Gospel of John explains that Jesus was teaching in a temple one day and was testifying of himself as being the light of the world, and explaining to these listeners that those who follow him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And there were many Jews who believed, on, believed him that day. And he said to them that the truth will set you free. And they asked him, how is it that you say you will be free? And Jesus said to them, and a side note, it's always important when Jesus says something in the Bible. And he said, truly, truly, Notice he said it twice. It's super important. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son, meaning if Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. The answer to our first question, what exactly did Jesus set us free from? Christians have been liberated from sin And it's eternal consequences. And sin, according to the Bible, has some heavy penalties. Most notably, death. The prophet Isaiah said that sin has caused the separation between us and God. The prophet Ezekiel said, the soul who sins shall die. God is eternal and our sins and our rebellion is against him. And the consequences of that sin is death, a spiritual death, which is essentially an eternal separation from God and our soul. And that soul will endure everlasting punishment in hell, or as Matthew puts it, everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So let's keep it simple. Jesus has set Christians free from having to be prosecuted for our own sins and going to hell. Next question, why did Jesus set us free? And there are many reasons why Jesus set us free, including the most popular, which is that God so loved the world. And yes, God does love the world. He does love his creation. And that's a fact, but why not send Timmy or Johnny? Or why not send an angel? Why is it that Jesus had to set us free? The Bible says that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. According to that statement, Jesus had no sin in him at all. Which means that Jesus was perfect. And the consequences of our sins were placed on him instead of us. The fact that Jesus was sin free is what qualified him to take our place. And the fact that Jesus was the only person to have ever been sinless means that he's not only qualified, but he is literally the only option available to be saved. Jesus makes that point clear in Matthew. When he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And the cup did not pass from him. Because Jesus is the only one who could liberate our souls from sin. And so again, if we keep this simple, Jesus alone set us free from the bondage of sin because he is the only one who could. Next question. How did Jesus set us free? How did he do it? The prophet Isaiah said this about Jesus. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Meaning Jesus was despised and rejected by men. And remember, Jesus is God in the flesh. And while here on earth, the true nature of sin through mankind was demonstrated, in that man despised and rejected God. He was falsely accused, tortured, and crucified. Isaiah said he was a man of sorrows and antiquated with grief. Jesus received the punishment of sin which spanned across the spectrum of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual suffering. Beaten, humiliated, and murdered in the worst conceivable way to die. John 19 explains some soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and dressed him in a purple robe. They mocked him, struck him. He had to carry that cross up the hill and then was crucified on it. The sinless was punished for the sinful. Larry mentioned last Sunday the Mel Gibson's film, film, The Passion of the Christ. And if you've ever watched that movie, you can see a very brutal representation of Jesus' suffering. The movie is almost unbearable to watch. I can't even imagine the real thing. How did Jesus set us free? Jesus took our punishment upon himself. So that we would not have to do it because we cannot do it. We cannot do what Jesus did, but because he, God, did it for us, we were made free. 1 John 2 2 says, and he himself, meaning Jesus, is the propitiation or the payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Jesus liberated us from sin because he was the only one who could. And he paid the price himself, thereby settling our debt. Think about your freedom. We are sinful people and don't deserve liberation because we have rebelled against God, in that we do and we think and we say much of what God hates. Because he hates sin. Because God is perfect, sin must be punished, it must be removed. But God also loves us and wants to save us. So he sent his son, Jesus, the sinless perfect one, to be punished in our place or to be the payment. So that we could be separated, not from him, but from the hellish consequences of sin. Once we receive Jesus' liberation and become Christians, we have been forgiven. We are 100% free. 100% because of Jesus. So what percent does that leave us to fulfill through our works or some other method? Zero. Zip. Zilch. Nada. Nothing. It's a done deal. But that does not mean that there's nothing left for us to do as Christians. We are free, but we are His. And therefore... As the president said, we need to make wise and virtuous use of the blessings placed before us. Notice in our verse, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. This verse gives us some instructions to follow as it relates to our freedom. First, as Christians, we are called to stand fast. And then we are told not to get entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What exactly does it mean to stand fast? I read an article written by Perry Bloomberg back in 2020 titled, The Incredible Story of Lake Charles Salier Oak, a 375-year-old oak tree which had just survived Hurricane Laura. <laughs> Excuse me. This particular live oak tree is believed to date back to 1645, and it has quite a history. It has offered shade to the native Ishak people, the Jean Lafayette pirates, Arsene La Blues cowboys, I hope I said that right, and, and many others according to the story. But this tree has been beaten on by hurricanes and has endured much hardship throughout its life, including some splitting resulting from uh, lightning strikes. Yet the tree has not moved from its position. The reason this tree has been able to withstand so much outside influence is that it's firmly planted with roots that run deep into the ground, providing it a a stable and secure foundation from with which to grow. As Christians, we're called to stand fast in our freedom. We're told not to move or not to be moved by outside influences. Like that famous oak, we're to withstand the hurricanes and lightning strikes of this world, which are meant to confuse and pervert and prevent our Christian freedom and ultimately return us to bondage. The Christians Paul wrote to in Galatians were moved from one position to the next, maybe because they were easily influenced by religious traditions or Old Testament law or fell victim to some catchy marketing schemes. Whatever the reason, they were allowing the good news of Jesus to be replaced with something else. And just like them, we are susceptible to outside influences, which can pervert the gospel. The question is, what type of outside influences do you allow to move you? I have personally met many Christians who have told amazing conversion stories of them becoming Christians and how their lives had changed. And they were so grateful to have been set free, free from sinful behaviors, free from the bondage of worldly vices and and attractions. And then later, they go back to looking up their horoscopes to find out how their day is going to go. Or they tell stories of visiting psychics to find out what the future looks like. This is just an example of uprooting the oak from a Christian place to a non-Christian place. Uh, As Christians, the basis for our belief is in Jesus and what he did alone to save us. And any persuasion contrary to that is meant to confuse you and is sure to lead to bondage once uprooted it can be dangerous and difficult to get back on track and i do want to make a quick disclaimer this is not a call to perfection people make mistakes and people have been known to backslide from time to time The point to take away here is that we, as Christians, we know why we're Christians. And if we don't fully understand it, we need to stop missing church. And we need to dust off our Bibles. Because there is no other way to salvation than Jesus. Nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. To stand fast means that you refuse to abandon your belief. There are many things we can do to help us stand fast or to ensure that we're firmly planted and unmovable in our Christian life. And I just want to suggest a couple of easy-to-do actions that will remind you to stand fast when the storms come. Number one... Read the Bible consistently. Um, Create a reading schedule or look one up online. Um, Or just start at the beginning and read to the end. I I put a little cheat sheet on the back for you, a little homework. It's just an easy schedule to follow. You guys check that out. (laughs) The answers to life's questions are in those books. They're in the Bible. And we have to read this book to figure things out. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We believe in God. We believe we have been saved by him, through him, and for him. Then we should want to learn more about him and about ourselves as we relate to him. Number two, start a prayer journal. This is a simple one, but... It's nice to keep track of answered prayers. Larry shared a couple this morning, and that was amazing. It's so encouraging to hear when God moves in lives. Uh, Write them down. Write down the times in your life when God and where God has done something that you can reflect on during the storms of life. I mean, why don't we just tell our children we love them once? Because we're people who need to be reminded of things. We're people who need encouragement because life can be difficult. And we're susceptible to attacks, just like that old oak tree. And we need to be firmly planted in our faith so that we can grow. And the more we grow, the stronger we'll become. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. When I think about a yoke of bondage, it's it's a horrible image of how slaves are attached to chains and can only move as a single unit. An actual yoke is a wooden device that would connect two or more animals, such as farmers used on animals when plowing fields back in the old days. A piece of wood was shaped just right to fit over their necks and essentially turn one animal into two animals, and doubling their power because once they were fastened together, they were no longer able to go their way. They could only move in the direction, in the same direction. They could only move where they were told to go by the farmer or by the master as it related to human owners. before being liberated from our sin, we were moving with other sinners in the same direction, ultimately leading to hell and attached with a hellish yoke, unable to get off the path, unable to release ourselves from that yoke or from the sinful master which was directing our movement. For example, in my opinion, one of the most atrocious acts being committed today by people is harming children. Some people are advocating for and moving in the direction that promotes the killing of unborn babies. And they're unable to see how horrific it is because they're just slaves. They're just slaves to the one controlling them. That's the path they see in front of them and they're told to go down it. Some people are actually advocating for and moving in the direction that promotes sex trafficking minors. And they too are obviously unable to see how horrific that is because they are slaves to the one controlling them and they're going where they're told to go. Sin is evil and its direction is horrifying. And as Christians, we have been freed from that bondage. We have been liberated from that yoke that leads to destruction. It's important to point out that being connected To those headed for hell is a yoke of bondage, which we are called to avoid. We as Christians, we're connected to those headed to heaven. We are fastened to Jesus with a yoke of love. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, as Christians, we're connected to Jesus. But we're free. So free, in fact, that many forget they're moving in a heavenly direction. And they get entangled sometimes in their old ways. Paul warns the Galatians not to be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Entangled is a past tense verb that means to become twisted together with or caught in. I read one article that described the largest commercial fishing net, which was built in 1985, measured over 446 feet by 60 feet, and has a gross tonnage of almost 9,500 tons. This net had a span of over 1,968 feet and could catch up to 250 tons of fish per day. That's a big net. Essentially, these huge nets were released into the ocean and pulled behind these large ships. And as they were pulled, the fish would get caught in them and they would become entangled. And then essentially, they were pulled out of the water and died. The purpose of using a fishing net is that it can catch or entangle a lot of fish at once, as opposed to one or two at a time. This is super cost-effective for commercial fishing. As Christians... We are not immune to being scooped up by the worldly nets and entangled. Question, what type of nets are we susceptible to? For some, it's old habits formed from our pre-Christian days. For some, it's progressive ideas that ultimately eliminate God and his word as an authoritative being and make them a secondary thing or something to check like or dislike depending on how we feel. And for some, like the Galatians, it was religious legalism that diminished Jesus as the Savior and required people to do things themselves to be saved. For some, it's freedom itself that has given people the license to do as they please. You've heard people say things like, I've been saved, I'm going to heaven, therefore, I can do what I want. You've probably heard some people say things like this, well, Jesus made wine, so I'm going to drink it all. But remember... Slavery is slavery, and sometimes when people get entangled in it, they don't always see where they're going. The fish in the nets have no idea that they're going to be lifted out of the ocean and served on a plate, moved from one location to another. They were just scooped up. And this can happen to Christians, especially as it relates to doing what you want to do as opposed to what God wants us to do. Paul addressed this issue with the Galatians as well, and he explained to them, And he said this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like. It's an exhaustive list, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past time, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of god how do we avoid being entangled in that bondage how do we do this from a practical sense i mean the world is full of nets and they're all trying to get us all the time the internet the radio cable tv satellite tv live streaming newspapers magazines billboards email snail mail the list just goes on and on and on I hear people say sometimes that the reason they don't go to church or the reason they can't get on board with being you know, a good Christian um, is that they have to give up all the good stuff in life. The good stuff. The prophet Isaiah said this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put drunkenness for light and light for drunkenness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The nets which were created to entangle us, can be extremely tempting and they require our active thought as to how to avoid them in a lot of cases. One suggestion is to know your tendencies to sin. You know you better than anyone, and you know what your weaknesses are. And you should be actively working to avoid those. Lamentations 3:40, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Number 2, repent when you fail. I have to repent a lot. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty-eight, thirteen: he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And not only to God, but to other Christians. We should lean on our brothers and sisters to help hold us accountable so that we will grow and get stronger. John says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by, with, by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. We were slaves to sin before becoming Christian. We were twisted in it and unable to get out. When we became Christians, Jesus untangled us and set us free i hope we're reminded of that fact in this message today and encouraged to not be moved from the truth that because of jesus alone we are free we were called by god we were called for god and it is because of god we have freedom at all and we should think about that often and we should govern our lives according to that fact. For, the, for you were bought at a price, the Bible says. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I read a story published on the National Christians Foundation website regarding John Quincy Adams, who was the sixth president of the United States. And, and that story was this quote. America's glory is not dominion, but liberty. Her march is the march of the mind. She has a spear and a shield, but the motto upon her her shield is freedom, independence, and peace. As Americans, we must defend our freedom. We must defend those who are unable to defend themselves. But as Christians, we have the responsibility to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the lost. And we should not be persuaded from doing that mission because true freedom comes from God alone. And so don't get it twisted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your freedom. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have provided to us through your son, Jesus. We know we don't deserve it, but your grace has ensured it. You are an amazing God, and I pray that as we leave today, we would all think about you more, and that we would not only or not allow this crazy world to confuse us, but to keep in mind that you are our God, and we are so happy that you are. And Lord, I just pray, if there are any here today that do not know you, that you would impress upon them the glorious freedom found only in your Son. Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.